I have a friend who tells me, <laughs> insists quite uh, fervently on this, that the only thing President Clinton ever did of any value was to designate Aretha Franklin a national treasure. I should tell you that my friend is a bit on the partisan side. Um, and I don't necessarily share his love for politics or even necessarily his view about them, but what I do share is his appreciation for Aretha Franklin. I think she is a national treasure, you know, and I'm really suspect about about politicians. I, I don't trust anybody who can vote themselves a pay raise. I think there's something um, inherently wrong about that. So I'm worried about them. But on Aretha Franklin, we're in total agreement. I mean, the sound, the woman can just plain sing. And her lyrics, I mean, they're, they're deep and soulful and filled with, you know, pathos and pain and energy. Really good stuff. Uh, this song, for instance. Some folks got it easy. I, I'm not going to sing like Aretha. They live the life of love and play. Lord knows I got my struggle now trying to make my way. I'm walking all day. I'm going to reach the town. I believe, I hope I can make it because my feet ain't going to let me stop. Talking about Jesus. Nobody, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Baby, I've had my share. Just ain't fair. Just ain't fair. It just ain't fair. Perhaps I've mentioned this before. I tell my sons they're not allowed to listen to the blues. The reason they're not allowed to listen to the blues is because they have no appreciation for it. They have lived lives that are way too easy to listen to the blues. They have no sense of, of the pain, you know. They, all they know is lives of comfort and ease. I mean... Their parents love them. Their mother treats them like little lords of the manor. She cooks for them and cleans for them and does all sorts of nice things for them. They've, they've never missed a meal, you know, because they didn't have anything to eat. They, they, they've never taken a beating. They, they've never involved themselves in manual labor, save for an occasional mowing the grass, you know. I mean, they really uh, have li- lived a pretty easy life. They don't even know the sort of hardship that Abby and I, the sort of privation that we knew growing up, you know, it, I'll share you my stories of woe, but suffice to say that my children have no experience in even the things that I had to deal with. And I think maybe some of you have had them too. We know, don't we? We know what it means to sing the blues. We know how to sing these songs. We have this feeling, This we, we understand it. But the truth is I'm glad they don't know how to sing them, at least not yet. I've always wanted the children to grow up with a sense that the world is good and beautiful and delightful and rich and all the, good, the things that you want in it. I've wanted them to grow up and leave those rose-colored glasses on just as long as possible. Because it's a crime to rob a child of his or her childhood. We all know this. It's wrong to take away that innocence and delight that they have because we know that sooner or later, everyone's going to experience pain. Every single one of us is going to find a world filled with the sort of pain that is real and and deep and hurtful. The one thing that we have plenty of in this world is pain. If pain were currency, nobody would ever go hungry. We have plenty of it, don't we? Perhaps that's why the children sort of buy into that idea. You know, that the world is filled with so much goodness that everything ought to be fair. And that's sort of what they say to one another, isn't it? You know, if they have a sense of injustice, they have this, this, you know, this deeply attuned sense of justice. If something's not right, they call it out. It's not fair. She got two cookies. I only got one. That's not fair. He won't let me ride his bike. 
That's not fair. They won't let me play. That's not fair. They say it. They have this impulse towards fairness. And they call it out whenever they see things going awry. We grow up with that. Every one of us has said that at one time or another. This isn't fair. And at some point, we don't think that it ever goes away. We just sort of get used to it. We become cynical. Of course it's not fair. Things are never going to be fair. It doesn't mean that we don't think that they ought to be fair. It's just never going to be like that. We become like um, the cynic's definition of a cynic. Someone who has the unfortunate ability to see things as they are instead of the way they ought to be. You know, this, this is the way we sort of are going through life, right? Of course it's not fair. But it doesn't stop us from crying foul when we see it. I found some quotes on fairness. Eleanor Roosevelt, it's not fair to ask, someone, ask of someone else what you are not willing to do yourself. Well said. It's not fair to ask of someone else what you're not willing to do yourself. Uh, Bethany Frankel, you cannot show people only the petals and not the thorns. It's not fair to them. Annie Lennox, it's not fair to compare one artist to another because they all come with their own sort of elements to the picnic. It's not fair. And it matters that things are fair. In a world where unfairness is all in front of us every day, we want some things to be fair. We, we still cling to that ideal of fairness. And that's why this parable that Jesus tells us is thoroughly annoying. Because it is completely, 100% unfair. Were you paying attention? Did you hear what he said? I mean, this is, this is tragedy. This is, this is unfairness on a, on a giant scale. There's no way. There's a landowner, Jesus says. He's a vineyard owner, we find out later. He's a winemaker, probably. He has this vineyard, and he needs to hire some people to come in and harvest grapes for him. So he goes to the marketplace where the men gather early in the morning. They have these still around, migrant workers who show up early in a place, and a, and a guy pulls up in a truck. I don't think they had trucks in the first century, but I think the guy shows up and he goes there and he says, I need some workers. And there are men gathered around. They've been there early. They got there, you know, before the sun came up and they're waiting for somebody to come and hire them. Wow, we've got a job. They're in it. And he takes them to the, to the farm, to the vineyard and says, here, here are the grapes. Get to work. And they start working. I think they're happy. I think they're delighted. I think they say to one another, Hey, isn't that great? We got a job today, you know? Shows you the early bird gets the worm. My son, Zach, he always says, when I say to him, the early bird gets the worm, he always says, yeah, Dad, but the second mouse gets the cheese. Um, <laughs> yeah, the early bird, the second mouse gets it. Okay, so they're excited, you know. Oh, we got a job. But the owner goes out about break time. The men are back working. He finds some more men at the market. Hey, you want a job? They all come back. And here are the guys at break time. Can you imagine them all standing around the water cooler? I kind of see them as union laborers, you know. they got these deals in their contract. Okay, so they're hanging around the water cooler, um, and, and they're having a drink and, and the, of water and kind of talking a little bit, you know. And, and here come these new guys, and they probably know these other guys. Oh, you, you're some lucky dogs, you know. You come late, and you still got a job, and, and that's great. And then comes lunchtime. And the first group and the second group are having lunch together when the landowner shows up with more men to work. And they're like, 
wow, who would have thought it? You know, here comes some more guys. So, you know, and, and, and they start working together. And they're all together back in the field. And it goes on again. The afternoon break comes. And who shows up but the landowner with still more guys? This has been going on for a while. And so this group is getting bigger and bigger, you know. And the early ones are thinking, you know. Second mouse does get the cheese. I mean, what kind of deal was this, right? And, and here they are. They're all working late. And then way late in the day, way late in the day, the owner shows up with some more men. I think that everybody who works there knows these other guys. You know, this is Ezra and Aaron and Jonas. You know, these guys, they always show up late to the marketplace because they don't want to work. They show up late, and they know all the jobs are going to be gone. They stand around, smoke cigarettes, talk politics and weather and whatever else, complain about their wives, and they don't want to work. They're there late on purpose because they don't want a job. And here it is, somebody shows up late in the day and gives them a job. I kind of imagine they're like, hey, yeah, well, you know, I guess. You know, if i got to do it, i got to do it. You know, this is going to be one day this week. And they go off to work. And quitting time comes an hour or so later. I kind of envision the foreman, you know, he's got this big triangle bell, you know, like they have out west, ding, 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 you know, he's ringing the bell, you know, and they're, they start putting stuff together, you know, they, they gather up their baskets of grapes, their, their, their tools. I don't know if they had wheelbarrows, but if they did, they're putting stuff in the wheelbarrow, you know, and, and they're, they're all heading back up to the, to the barn. You know, everything goes on at the barn. You know, the barn is where everybody gathers. It's where the tools go. It's where they put the grapes. It's... There's probably a wine press in that barn, you know. And everybody, the foreman's at the barn. And, and they're going to the barn. Everybody's heading to the barn. And I want you to imagine the scene, okay? The guys who got there before dawn, they are sweating. They are smelling. You know, they're tired. They're cranky. Uh, they want to go home. And some other guys who are less tired and less cranky, and some other guys who are even less, and there's some guys who are really spry. They're still joking with one another, you know. They're, they're talking about going out after work, you know. They're, they're all happy, and they're all heading to the barn together. They get in the barn, and Jesus says, he didn't say this, but he says the owner's there. I think he's over, like, inspecting some machinery or something. And the foreman, the foreman's, uh, he's, got the, he's got the money bag in his hand. He's got the list in the other hand, you know, he's kind of, Big brown leather money bag chinking around those coins. And he starts reading names off the list. Ezra, Aaron, Jonas, these guys who showed up late. You remember them, right? And he pops out a denarius, whole day's wage. Let's call it a $100 bill. Puts it in their hand, each one of them. And the other guys are thinking, wow. If they got that, imagine what we're going to get. And imagine what the other guys thought. And if they get, well, by the time he gets down to the first ones hired, I mean, we could be walking out of here with a grand, you know. It'll be a great day. But the next ones come, and they get a denarius. And the next one comes, and they get a denarius. And the very first ones hired are paid last. And they get a denarius. And somebody says, this is not fair. This is not right. This is, this is totally uncalled for. Where is the EEOC? Give me my, I want, I want my union steward over here right now. This is not right. I worked all day. These chumps worked an hour. We both got paid 
the same wage. That is absolutely unfair. And Jesus tells this story this way because he knows we'll get it. He doesn't. He He knows. He knows that we're going to say, they're right. This is not fair. He has lured us right in. Not fair at all. He knew that we would miss what this story is really about. It's really about generosity. It's really about gift. It's really about grace. It's not about how workers got cheated. It's a story about people who had no right to goodness receiving goodness anyway. But we're not going to see it that way. We're going to see it the way we want to see it. This is not fair. They don't deserve blessing and they got blessed. And that's not right. Here's the truth. We don't deal well with grace, none of us. I mean, maybe you deal better with it than some, but none of us really deal well with grace. We are much better with merit. Give me a merit-based economy, I can live there. I do not want to deal with grace. We even turn words like charity into a pejorative. What's your charity? The word charity comes from a Greek translation of the word agape, which means unconditional love. I don't want your unconditional love. I'd prefer to have your conditional love. That's much better. Give me the stuff that I can earn. I don't want the free stuff. And because we have no room for charity, we have no room for grace. And the truth is, when push comes to shove, we have very little room for God. Because this is the way God operates. If you miss the beginning of the parable, don't feel alone. Many people do. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven doesn't mean the place where people go when they die. Jesus means the economy of God. The world where people live as if God is in control of their lives. That's what the kingdom of God means. The kingdom of heaven in in Matthew's gospel. It means the people who have made a choice. Jesus seems to think there's only one of two ways to live. One is either we become the gods of our own lives, allow ourselves to decide what we want, what's best for us, and, and... arrange all of our choices around ourselves, or we arrange our lives around God. God is the center of what God wants, and God's will is most important. Everything else is secondary. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, those people who have chosen choice B, to make God the center of their lives, deal with unfairness and generosity quite differently than others. That we look at this story and we see that it's a story about goodness and grace. Because the truth is we don't want fairness. St. Paul says the wages of sin are death. You want what we deserve? Well, guess what we deserve, according to St. Paul. What we really want is what we don't deserve. Philip Yancey wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. If you haven't read it, you should. He deals at length with this parable. How could he not? And here's what he says. The employer in Jesus' story did not cheat the full-day workers by paying everyone for one hour's work instead of 12. No, the full-day workers got what they were promised. Their discontent arose from the scandalous mathematics of grace. Oh, I like that line. 
the scandalous mathematics of grace. They could not understand that their employer had the right to do what he wanted with his money when it meant paying scoundrels 12 times what they deserved. You see, it all comes down to grace and to a definition of grace. With Yancey says, grace means that there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more. And if he stopped right there, we would be quite okay with that. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. But he goes on. And grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. Oh, that can't be true, can it? That cannot be true. Because that's where we have the problem. We just can't deal with that kind of grace, that kind of generosity, that kind of unconditional love. Because it's not fair. We don't get what we do deserve. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.